0: This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insight and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients.
1: everyone and thank you for tuning in. My name is Andy Hammond and I head up the employment tax team at Crow in the UK. Today I'm joined by employment tax specialists Nick Irvin and Navin Sharma who will be talking about the off-payroll working rules known as IR35 and how to get it right. So I'm going to start by asking Navin, um, can you explain what IR35 actually is for us please?
0: Thanks, Andy. Yes, yeah, so the intermediaries legislation has been in place since April 2000. And the term ir 35 is a more commonly used name and follows the original HMRC booklet reference. Now, the legislation applied where an individual worked through their own intermediary, which would usually be a personal service company, or PSC for short, to provide services for a client. But if it wasn't for that personal service company, there'd be an employee if they were contracted directly. The personal service company is usually a limited company where the individual is sole director and shareholder or someone split with a spouse or family member. The main sector for the rules to tackle was originally within IT. Now, typically, the individual would be an employee on the Friday and then returned by a personal service company on the Monday. Working through a PSE presented some lucrative advantages. The director could pay him or herself a low salary and the rest of their personal income. Would take the form of dividends. Now, this type of planning allowed for more efficient tax liabilities and potentially a nil or very low national insurance cost. Of course, paying little national insurance could mean a detrimental effect on state benefits or pensions, but the goal was to maximise cash now. Originally, the individual's personal service company had to determine whether the IR 35 rules should apply, and if so, they would need to pay employment taxes on the income received from the client. HMRC challenged these arrangements with a varying degree of success. HMRC identified low compliance rates, so changed the rules in April 2017 for the public sector. Some decades on from the original introduction, HMRC have changed the rules for the private sector to ensure continuity.
1: So this sounds like quite a significant change in the way some contractors will be taxed. Nick, can you tell us what the impact of April 2021 changes will have or have had in practice?
2: Yeah, sure. So the first thing to note is that the new legislation doesn't apply to businesses or organisations that are categorised as small, um, which is using the Standard Companies Act definitions. Um, the test to determine if, if an organisation is small or not is a, is a three-part test. And if any two of the three parts are met, then the business will be considered as small. The first part is uh, that the organisation does not have a turnover of more than £10.2 million. The second part is that the organisation does not have a balance sheet total of more than £5.1 million. And the third part is the organisation does not have more than 50 employees on average. So as I said, if if the, the organisation meets any two out of these three tests, then they'll be considered small and they don't need to consider the IR35 rules from the 6th of April 2021 any further. However, if the, the organisation is not small, then the legislation may apply. And the impact of this has. Is that it places responsibility for determining whether the individual is working like an employee or not on the end client, which is the organization who is receiving the services of the worker. And what it also does is, if the rules do apply, it places responsibility for operating pay as you earn on the payments made to the worker on the deemed employer. Now, the deemed employer is usually the party who pays the individual's intermediary, um, but it can also be the client at the same time. So it can have quite a large effect on the client in terms of determining whether the rules apply and operating uh, pay-as-you-earn on the payments made to the worker.
1: Okay, so if you're not small and you engage workers through a personal services intermediary, the key question you need to ask is whether the engagement is in the nature of employment or not. So just going on from there, Nick, what's the best way to determine if the worker should be taxed as an employee?
2: There's no statutory rules and there's no simple test or anything like that to determine whether someone should be an employee or not or is working like an employee or not. Um, Instead, there are employment status indicators or factors that have been developed through case law over a number of decades. Um, Some of these key factors are whether the individual has to provide their own personal service or whether they can send someone else instead, Uh, whether the client has the right to control the work that the individual does, uh, and, and whether the individual risks making a loss from, from the contract or the engagement. Um, all of these relevant factors, and there are much more than that, must be weighed up in the round and then overall judgment made, um, which obviously this can be quite a complex uh, thing to do. However, there is help available to do this. So the first thing that I've mentioned is HMRC's Check Employment Status for Tax Tool, or CEST tool for short. Um, now, this is a free online questionnaire of around 30 questions all um, multiple choice that that you can fill out, um, and at the end of it, it'll, it'll provide a determination um, as to whether the employee, the person, is working like an employee or not. Um, however, this does reflect HMRC's view, um, and and sometimes their view can be wrong, as we've seen in recent tribunal cases, um, and in other cases, it won't provide an actual determination. It will just say that it's unable to determine the arrangement um, because it's it's too borderline for them to make a decision. There are other online tools. Um, Other professional firms have released their own tools. Um, It's not clear what the accuracy or reliability of these these are, unlike HMRC's tool, where if they agree with the inputs uh, that go into the tool, HMRC will um, stick by the result of it, whereas for other online private organisation tools, it's not necessarily going to be the case. Um, And then finally, um, if anyone is stuck with employment status or IR35, then it's always advisable to seek a professional view on it uh, and on the working arrangements to determine whether the individual is working like uh, an employee or not.
1: Thanks, Nick. Navin, turning back to you, as a result of the coronavirus pandemic of the last 15 months, we've probably seen the most significant change in working practices in over a generation. Has this had any impact, in your view, on traditional employment status indicators?
0: Uh, Not particularly. Uh, Some might argue that the ability or necessity to work from home is evidence of the individual having control over where they work. However, that said, in most cases, this will simply be the client allowing the individual to work from home. If they have the ultimate right to decide where they work or where the work is carried out, then that is what matters. Even if the individual has the right to control over where they work, Other facets of control are more important, such as control over how the work is done. So control over where the work is done is unlikely to wing the determination. One should also remember that a significant proportion of the country's employees have been and continue to work from home without changing their employment status.
1: Okay, Uh, thanks. Um, So, Nick, is it difficult to determine employment status for tax?
2: Yeah, so I've already mentioned that you have to weigh up all of the factors in the round and, and make an overall judgment. And and I think that that presents the, the employment status conundrum as one that is complex and difficult. I think in the vast majority of cases, employment status is very easy and very intuitive. For example, most of the working population in the UK are clearly employees. I am clearly an, an employee of Crow and there's no dispute of that. And those who are self-employed are usually clearly self-employed. Um, so those ones are straightforward. However, where employment status becomes very complex is is when the arrangements are more borderline. And as I mentioned earlier, this this is illustrated by the number of tribunal cases on employment status and IR thirty five, especially in in the last five to ten years, um, that actually make uh, get to the courts without without a settlement. Um, and again, as I mentioned for HMRC's tool. The complexity and the difficulty of employment status is also illustrated by the fact that the SESS tool can reach an unable to determine outcome. And it does in in quite a few cases because it is so complex and it is so borderline. So I think this just highlights the importance of, of one, taking care and making sure organisations are making employment status decisions um, correctly, but also seeking advice when needed uh, and, and not being afraid to reach out for that extra help.
1: Great. Thanks for that. Um, Nabin, thinking about the work you've done with your clients um, and, and taking your specialism in this area, what would be the five key tips you would offer uh, to ensure compliance with the changes? Thinking you know, before the changes came into, into play in April and, and since that time.
0: So firstly, don't underestimate the amount of time this employment status process can take. Uh, secondly, identify and communicate with stakeholders and contractors that are involved in the process. Thirdly, I would say take care when determining status. You're likely to need to research in detail the various aspects of the engagement to be able to undertake a meaningful status assessment. Fourthly, meet information provision obligations. So that's in terms of issuing status determination statements and dealing with disagreements within timeframes. And fifth, you should use reliable and compliant agencies if you're choosing to use the agency route you'll need to check and return to the process on a periodic basis.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Um, Nick, if I can come back to you, um, a question I'm often asked is um, where an individual has been determined to now be subject to the new IR35 rules. That that obviously comes into play from April 2021. Um, Will HMRC actually go back um, into past years and look at the rules there uh, and take any action?
2: That's a really good question, actually. Um, And I think, the first point is to start with the general rules on, on going back to previous years. So theoretically, HMRC w- will look to a presumption of continuity. And, and what this means is they'll usually assume that if errors have happened in one year, similar errors would have happened in previous years. Um, and this isn't a given, but it's usually HMRC's starting point. Um, now, the number of years that they can look back on depends on the facts. Um, so where uh, an error is, is discovered um, in all cases, they can go back four years. Um, they can go back six years if the error was a result of carelessness or negligence, um, or up to twenty years if the error was ah uh, was, was deliberate or fraudulent. However, with IR thirty five, it's obviously slightly different because the rules have only come into to effect, or the new rules have only come into effect since sixth of April two thousand and twenty one. So if HMRC assess liabilities on on a client or or a deemed employer in relation to the new IR35 rules, they can only actually go back and assess that liability on the client or deemed employer to the 6th of April 2021, as this is when the legislation came into effect. Um, In terms of using information now that they gather from clients to punish individuals and PSCs on the original IR35 rules prior to the 6th of April 2021, HMRC have said that they won't use any new information gathered post 6th April 2021 from clients in order to open new inquiries or um, feed into existing inquiries into PSCs for the uh, for the original IR35 rules. So many contractors are worried that by being classed as as subject to the IR35 rules now that that might detriment their tax position, say, three, four years ago when they were having to self-assess the IR35 rules. But as I said, HMRC have made clear that they won't use this information to punish PSCs in the past.
1: Possible worrying situation for those that have been uh, within IR35 for for a long time. If we can go back to the the new rules that have come in now, Navin, there's a lot of um, obligations upon end, end users and clients to get this right. What happens if they get it wrong?
0: Yeah, so there could be potentially tax interest and penalties, G. But again, HMRC is committed to a light-touch approach to penalties in the first year, so there should be no penalties for inaccuracies relating to off-payroll working rules in the first 12 months, unless, of course, there is evidence of deliberate non-compliance. What will be important going forward is for the end-user client to be able to demonstrate that reasonable care was taken. Not just blanket decisions to simply elect that none or all of workers who provide their services through a personal service company are caught by the new rules, even if several workers undertake similar roles under similar terms and conditions. If a client has taken reasonable care, there should be no punishment, even if it turns out that the client got the decision wrong. Instead, the liability will be collected from the deemed employer, although that could indeed be the client in some circumstances. However, penalties wouldn't be. Due. Reasonable care means clients should act in a way that would be expected of a prudent and reasonable person in the client's position. What is necessary to discharge that responsibility must be viewed in the light of their abilities, experience and circumstances. So for example, HMRC expects a higher degree of care to be taken by a large multinational company with its own internal finance functions compared to a much smaller entity. HMRC will expect each client to carry out a complete and thorough determination and preserve sufficient records to show how the decision was reached. And HMRC will also expect a person with limited abilities or experience to seek appropriate advice. So some examples of this would be seeking the advice of a qualified professional advisor, accurately applying and keeping a record of the employment status principles, applying HMRC guidance on determining status, Accurately inputting into the check of employment status tool. The right person with a good understanding of the work to be undertaken should be involved in the determination process. And ongoing checking and reviewing of individual determinations to ensure they remain valid and making a new status determination, if appropriate.
1: Thanks, Navin. Nick, coming back to you, let's say we have a more complex chain of engagement where the end client pays another party the deemed employer who in turn pays the intermediary, who provides the worker services. In those circumstances, what happens if the client determines that the IR35 rules apply, but the deemed employer ignores that determination and doesn't deduct or, or, or meet their obligations for paying uh, POE and
2: national insurance
1: over to HMRC?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question, Andy. And so in this example, um, the client has done everything they can and has done everything right. And it's just the deemed employer who has is, who is not deducted the pay as you earn and national insurance uh, liabilities. So in this instance, HMRC will go after the deemed employer um, who has failed in its responsibility to deduct income tax and, and national insurance contributions from the payments to the intermediary. HMRC w- would look to charge tax interest and potential penalties if it was deliberate. However, there are some new rules that have been introduced alongside the off-payroll working rules um, uh, where basically if HMRC cannot recover the liability from the deemed employer, for example, the deemed employer has dissolved um, or there is no realistic prospect of recovering it within a reasonable time period, then HMRC can actually decide to recover the debt from either the first agency in the contractual chain or the client instead so what this means is that the client may not actually be off the hook, even if they do everything right. I think the best bit of advice we can, we can give for this scenario is that if clients are choosing to contract with agencies, that they should ensure that those agencies are compliant uh, and certainly consider the inclusion of suitable protective indemnities in the contracts as well. Um, otherwise, as I said, they could be left with the liabilities, even though they've taken all the steps and done everything right in the process
1: thanks for that yeah it sounds pretty harsh actually if uh, if things go wrong so i'm just going to sum up and uh, and conclude this this uh, podcast so i35 has been implemented in the private sector um, as of 6 of april 2021 this will mean that those engaging off payroll workers will have an ongoing increased administrative burden being required to establish whether any contractors working through personal service intermediaries should be treated as falling inside or outside the new rules um, as we can see, the potential penalties for failure can be severe. Uh, it's key that everyone in the supply chain is aware of their responsibilities under these new rules and to ensure they've updated their policies to ensure they remain compliant. And if, if in any doubt, they should take advice from specialists. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. I'd like to thank uh, both Navin and Nick for their insights today and to all of you for listening. Thank you.
0: Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we advise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.